where we, a real-life mother and daughter duo, rewatch Gilmore Girls and discuss the misadventures of fictional mother and daughter duo Lorelai and Rory Gilmore. I am Tessa Dare, a writer and the author of the paranormal mystery series The Karans and Chronicles, and Beth's daughter. And I have had uh, at least one whole coffee. I had a coffee in my to-go cup, my Star Trek to-go cup, and then I eventually transferred it into the Luke's mug when I got back home from my errands. All uh, right. So I'm not, I'm not sure what coffee number I'm on. I am Beth, Tessa's mom, also a writer. Tessa and I have been talking about politics, art, and culture pretty much since she could read. Sometimes these conversations have taken on a marathon quality. So last year, it occurred to us that we should move our discussions to the digital world, maybe even into a podcast. The Gilmores seemed like an obvious choice because the story resonates with us. I was a single mother of a teenage daughter attending a private school we could not afford, and many of the the show's plot lines touch on topics that we like to discuss. So here we are. I'm in St. Louis. Tess is in Seattle. And my coffee, I picked up a late-in-the-day coffee from Breadco that I topped off with some two-day-old stuff from the thermos, because that's just how I roll. And we now have a Patreon. If you would like to support us on Patreon, you can find us at patreon.com slash where you lead. Every week, we will start off with a synopsis of the episode along with the date it aired before heading into our discussion. Today, we are discussing Season 1, Episode 17. The Breakup Part 2. It originally aired March 15th, 2001. It is not technically a part two. That's just, that is just in the title. Uh, it's, the storyline is, is continued, but the previous episode was not a part one. So Yes. Uh, and our general overview of the episode uh, is basically that Dean and Rory have broken up. So I guess maybe that's maybe that's the part two part. The actual breakup technically took place in the last episode. But yeah. this is when the fallout from the breakup happens. Uh, and the whole town of Stars Hollow pretty much immediately turns on Dean despite Rory's attempts at protesting, though she doesn't try that hard. Uh, and Rory is, of course, keeping a big part of the breakup a secret though the audience knows because we saw what happened. And Lorelai definitely suspects that something is off, but she does not get Rory to tell her. She doesn't, yeah, she never gets any satisfaction from it. And, and I think it's because uh, Rory's embarrassed. Oh, yeah. Doesn't, doesn't know how to, hasn't processed it yet. It's just happened. It hasn't had time to think about it. So anyway, we start with a cold open. Uh, Lorelai and Rory are embracing at the front yes. door and uh, her mom is asking daughter what happened what happened um Rory doesn't isn't comfortable telling her very much at all her yeah. explanation is simplistic uh and I mean she says we, we jumped into this car in the junkyard and yeah, then, then they she, broke I mean, up she gives a very like technical overview they went to yeah. dinner they walked through the town they went to the junkyard and, that's uh, and kind of where the she fire. They stopped at the fire pit. Yeah. It wasn't working. They went to the junkyard. They jumped in a car. She doesn't tell her mother that Dean gave her a car or that he was building her a car mm-hmm. or that, that he said he loved her and she couldn't say it back. And that is why he broke up with her. So yeah. she doesn't want to get into any of that. So what she tells her mother 
is not really a story I would recognize from what actually happened. But so that's what happens. And then she gets fixated on the fact that she forgot her mother's meatball in the car. She actually said, I forgot your meatball in the car. That would be my choice for an alternate title. So... (laughs) Got your meatball in the car. All right. Yeah, right. and if you if you remember last uh, last week's episode, they're going out to a nice dinner, and her mother asked her to get suggests she get a meatball. So yes. to it was kind of a funny exchange between them. But when they're at the restaurant, uh, in addition to three plates of pasta and a massive dessert, she asks the waiter to bring her a meatball that she could take mm-hmm. home to her mother, and she has leaves that in the car after the breakup in the junkyard car. Uh, and Lorelai and Rory have an exchange where Lorelai basically says, uh, I just don't believe that Dean would plan all of this for you and then suddenly dump you for no reason. And Rory responds, how do you know that? And Lorelai says, because I've read every Nancy Drew novel ever written, the one about the Amish country twice. I completely <laughs> missed that line. Yeah. <laughs> or if, but if, or if I heard it, it just didn't click for me. I'm, uh, it's not, and it's still not clicking for me, but... It's, I mean, a, it's, it's a throw-off line, and she has the, a lot of those. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I used to read the, like, junior Nancy Drew novels mm. when I was a little kid. And the interesting thing about the Amish country is the I read the very first Sherlock Holmes novel, and it's really weird and includes this huge digression in the middle. Like, you get the setup to the mystery story, and then it all of a sudden does this huge flashback to Mormon-controlled Utah in the 1800s. And for some reason, that line about the Amish country one just sort of reminded me of that Sherlock Holmes novel. (laughs) But Lorelai wants her to take her, wants Rory to take her through it step by step. Because, of course, up until this year in their lives, that has been the nature of their relationship. Anything that happens to either one of them gets gets told to the other one in detail, step by step. But in this situation, Rory Rory does not want to tell her mother, whom she usually tells everything to. So it, you know, yeah. it's kind of in, instead she she goes to her room and she starts throwing things into a box that remind either either that that Dean has given her or that remind her of Dean, including. A stuffed chicken, a stuffed, uh, I guess it's a rooster from her childhood that has been with her since she was a toddler, but he touched it the first time he walked into her room. He touched it. A couple of the things are just like he looked at it and liked it. Like it's, it's literally just a whole bunch of her stuff that she, Mm -hmm. that is only tangentially in any way related to him, but she's just kind of, she wants to do this purge. I, I think it's sort of representative of her desire to just sort of get rid of the feelings. Get rid know? of the feelings. And and the very last thing she throws in this box, though, is is important. It's the bracelet that he gave her. Yes. Didn't he give her a bracelet? Because she takes the bracelet off, and, th- and it's the very last thing she throws in. Uh, and she insists that her mother get rid of it. Her mother keeps saying, oh, but you're going to want this. And then that's a thing. Young people don't realize... <laughs> Well, I mean, I did when when I was I was a teenager. I kept all kinds of crap that I still have to this day, and so. But I think a lot of young people think, "Oh, I'm just gonna get rid of this. I don't need it. I don't need it." And she's thinking she's just gonna get rid of this, and her mother's like, "Nah, I don't think so. Let's you're you're gonna want this five, yeah. ten, fifteen years down the road." And of course, we know Lorelai's not gonna throw it out. She doesn't. She takes it. She puts it in a closet. But Rory keeps insisting. No, I want you to throw this out. And meanwhile, Lorelai keeps insisting, you need to wallow. So, and, and by that, she what she's saying is you need to, 
you know, eat some ice cream, watch a sappy movie, and let I mean, yourself she's, cry. She's telling sleep her to feel a little bit. Let yourself feel it. Work through it that yeah. way. And Rory is having none of it. And Lorelai acts as if she's surprised, and she probably and she is surprised. But why? We're not surprised. Rory, this is who Rory is. You know, she is not her mother. Her when her mother is when Max broke up with Lorelai, Lorelai did wallow. But that's not who Rory is. Although, you know, no, no spoilers yet. But, I mean, she does get to a point where she finally sees that side of it. But for now, she just wants to be busy. So I, I she, don't know that Lorelai is surprised so much as concerned. I, yes, I think, well, I think it's both, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe she's a little bit taken aback by it. But I feel like the bigger feeling that's happening is concern. Because Lorelai understands, having been through this kind of thing before that the way that Rory's handling it is not going to work long term. It's not It's not going to help her actually move past it. You can't just deny the feelings and have them go away. You do actually have to feel them and work through them in order for them to go away. And I think that is also part of Lorelai's decision to hide the box. It, it, it is a thing that comes with perspective, for sure. Like, the fact that Lorelai has been through this kind of thing before means that she knows that eventually you do reach a point where you want to be able to look back and i don't yeah. think rory is even thinking of it in those terms she literally can't get past the present moment of wanting it to just be over but also and- i think lorelei wants it to just be over because she as a mother she doesn't want her daughter to feel pain she wants wants to get through this and she thinks that getting through it means wallowing in it rory thinks getting through it means staying busy and taking her mind off of it. What she doesn't realize is that the busyness is going to take her into the town where she is going to see not just townspeople, but Dean. So wallowing would actually <laughs> would actually keep her away from that. But instead, she, throw, she wakes her mom up at 6 a.m. the next morning, and they start off on, on this long list of things that Rory has created for her. So yeah, she she does wake her mom up at six, um, which my note on that was Rory chose violence today. <laughs> and I have a, a couple of notes about it. Um, my first note, which is not exclusive to this show, but like television in general has this tendency to pretend that 6 a.m. is as bright as noon. Maybe in some places it is at some times of the year, but most of the time 6 a.m., is not as bright as the rest of the day. But this is just a thing that happens on television over and over again. They tell you that it's six, but the lighting in the room is, we filmed this at noon. Production value. I mean, it, 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 if they don't have that, then it's, it doesn't, the scene doesn't work. But because she, you know, she, it's, a, it's, a, it's supposed to be a stark wake up for her. You yeah, know, just for sure. that, like, you, like you said, a violent kind of scolding wake up for her. But you're right. Even in the middle of the country where I am at 6 a.m., it's only that bright on, in July. Yeah. So, and this is Connecticut in winter because they're still wearing winter mm-hmm. coats. So I'm yeah, not sure. Connecticut. Uh, Connecticut. <laughs> I smashed Connecticut and winter together. Winter to like early spring seems to be, because I think they did make a reference to March. But yeah, there's just, there's no way that it would be that bright. And the thing that bothers me about this scene is that she says to her mom, I used to have a boyfriend and now I don't. To me, this feels like a skewed perspective. Isn't it about loss of love and loss of companionship rather than loss of a boyfriend, a title? You know, I used to have a, this 
boyfriend, this, this thing that people recognize. It's a title. And that's what I lost. Mm, is that really what you lost? I mean, I think that might be her part of her way of minimizing it. Mm. I, but I also, I'm not, sh- I like, I, I think that's one way to look at it. But also, I do feel like Paris later on basically refers to it in exactly the same way. Of course, to Paris, I do think that boyfriends are just about the concept and the title. Yeah. M- maybe because she hasn't ever actually had one. But yeah, I, I think that way of framing it totally gets echoed by what Paris says later in the episode. She says something like, well, at least you at one point had a boyfriend. Both times, it's like, if it does totally feel like they are treating this not as like the loss of an important relationship so much as the right. loss of a status symbol. It's a status. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what it is. That's the word I couldn't come up with. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And I and I, and they have and this is not the first time she yeah. has talked about, you know, when 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 she they both decide that he is her boyfriend. And th- there should have been lots of situations like that where she's talked about him being a boyfriend or having a boyfriend or whatever. And to me, that's just it's a really immature way of looking at this very important relationship in her life. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, so then when Lorelai comes down, uh, Rory has already cleaned the whole house and rearranged all of rearranged the, furniture the furniture in the living room, except for the TV, which was too heavy for her to move. So now everything is oriented away from the TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the room kind of looks unrecognizable. Like when you look at it, yes. it's like this almost doesn't look like their house anymore, except it is technically the same couch, but just everything looks different. <laughs> and you have to understand that the visual of their living room is almost always the two of them on the sofa watching television watching a yeah. movie on the t- on television usually um, and like surrounded by and pizza stuff and s- yeah. surrounded by stuff it's it's a completely the orientation of the sofa is wrong and there's nothing in the room that makes it feel like them it feels like the room suddenly has more furniture than it used to, but way less other stuff. When I first saw it, I literally had to replay the scene because I was just like, the room normally looks wildly different from this, right? And like, my big question is, where did Rory put all the stuff? <laughs> like, she, cl- she cleaned it up and put it away. But but yeah, the, where the, is the, away? The, 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 I don't know. <laughs> but the, like you said, the camera does pan for very slowly across the room. Yeah. So you can see how different it looks. That That's... That's deliberate so and intentional. It definitely, and yeah, usually we don't see the whole room. We usually just see the sofa yeah. or, you know, if there's another, the chair where Emily fell asleep. I mean, you know, that, that, that's, that's pretty much it. So this was a real deliberate effort to show that mm-hmm. there's been, uh, something has changed. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a change. A cyclone. <laughs> Yeah. So the, the, when, when Lorelai is telling Rory, uh, that she needs to wallow, she, lists off a bunch of movies and I wrote them Mm -hmm. all down. I've not seen any of these, but I did go ahead and look up every single one so that I could know what they were about. The movies are Love Story, The Champ, An Affair to Remember, and Ishtar. And I think the joke I think the joke (laughs) is that the first three movies are like classic sad movies. The third movie was just a box office disaster. Oh, really bad. Yeah. With um two great actors. Uh you know, Dustin Hoffman and Bonnie and Clyde. Clyde. I hate it when my brain works that way or doesn't work. It'll come back to me. I mean, I I can look it up. I I didn't memorize who was in it, but I can I can look it up. Warren Beatty? Yep, that's it. So there's another point. I don't know if they if this is in the same scene, but they mentioned Footloose, and she talks about how you know the people that are in it, and then she says something about 
Chris Penn, who is Sean Penn's brother. And mm-hmm. and I'm I'm like, first of all, I've never seen Footloose. And I know it's like one of those coming of age movies of my generation, but I have never seen it, never had any interest in it. Oh, she mentions Kevin Bacon. And I did not know that Sean Penn had a brother named Chris, who apparently also works in movies, but is not an actor anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, their their father was a director who made, I think he worked a lot in television, but he did make some films too. So that's how he got into movies. But anyway, so uh, they moved to on to Luke's place, which at yes. 6 a.m., is crowded usually we get to luke's luke's diner and there's hardly anybody in there but boy at 6 a.m there's a wait there's a line at the door it's It's packed packed. yeah Yeah. so uh and it but there's but luke is not there yeah and it's packed with like actual extras normally when we go in the diner there's like a couple of other people and half the time they are characters that we recognize because we've seen them over and over again Mm -hmm. but yeah this time it's totally packed and it's full of faces that we don't recognize right. until Miss Patty enters. There's like not a person in there who's a recognizable town member. Yeah, well, except for well, Rachel is there. She's past. She's pouring she's coffee. She's not a town member though. She's not a town member. And here's the thing: she is walking around the room serving coffee, and people are sitting at tables and lined up, but there's no cook because Luke is the cook and he's yeah, not there. Yeah, I mean, it kind of brings into question the whole like how does Luke organize this place because it does kind of seem like he is the only person who works there and wow, that's a lot of work to both manage the yeah. diner and be the only cook. Wow. Like no wonder he's like basically never not there <laughs> cuz he'd have to be. It's crazy. <laughs> but then they 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 she seats them. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Rachel seats them at a table and immediately Rory senses that everybody in the room knows. And of course we're sitting there thinking, but there's nobody in this room, you know, none of these mm-hmm. people look familiar. So why, but then, but then I remember reading somewhere years ago, a psychologist writing about how teenagers almost as a universal rule of thumb feel like they are the center of attention and everybody is looking at them and uh, judging their every word and every movement and when I read that however many years ago it was I remember thinking oh I felt like that so I don't and I don't remember when I moved out of that but but it's an absolutely correct assessment and understanding of teenagers and that's what she's going through here she's for the first time if she's not in a book she's not oblivious to the world around her which where we usually often is yeah and she is instead focused on what people are thinking about thinking of her saying about her even though no nobody is but she's she's obsessed obsessing over it for probably the first time ever I, i think it's also because of her specific feelings about the breakup the the feeling of guilt and shame because i I do think that she is viewing this breakup as truly her fault because she couldn't say i love you back to dean Mm -hmm. uh and you know lorelei is not aware of that part yet but i feel like the fact that she already feels guilty and ashamed of what has happened is really informing her feelings in this scene and of course then miss patty comes in and reveals that she at least definitely already knows about the breakup i don't know how how (laughs) don't know (laughs) So, so the old she, up until she, this, she was in the junkyard. This point, and maybe so. <laughs> up until this point, R- Lorelai, Rory, and Dean are the only three people who know. How does Miss Patty know? My only realistic theory is that he went home and told one of his parents, and for some reason they told Miss Patty. 
that's the only i guess we we do we have established that he also has sisters so i guess he could also have a sister in miss patty's class yeah but i think i think the bigger meaning here is that miss patty is a mystic yeah (laughs) yeah for sure no she's a mystic she's She's got microphones all over town she is she is the town crier in more ways than one. And mm-hmm. she knows everything, and it's just mystical how she does. So I think she's just this. She felt it on the wind. She felt it. She, she, she has ESP. So, yeah, she just knows in her, in her soul that these two have broken up, and we're not supposed to ask why. So she knows, and they have a sweet little conversation. She completely understands when Lorelai tells She is the only one, by the way. She, she completely understands when Lorelai tells her now is not the time to talk to her about it. She says, yeah. absolutely, give her a hug for me. I'm out of here. Nobody else does that. Everybody else wants to take care of Rory, including the next person who finds out, which is mm-hmm. Luke. And I yep. have to say, I love Luke's reaction. He is so Rory's dad. And neither Lorelai nor Rory can ever see this. Yeah. But, but, but Luke is her dad. I mean, for all yeah. intents and purposes, he serves that role. He instantly gets mad. And then his anger, it sets up the funniest scene I've ever <laughs> seen in this. We'll get to it in a second. But, and yeah. I, I'm still just thinking about it. I'm starting to laugh. So, but before Lorelai can finish that conversation, she turns around. She tells them they want pancakes. She turns around and, oh, my God, Kirk is at the table because nobody's listening. Nobody understands that 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 you don't talk to the girl who's been broken up with. Well, and, and I but, feel like Kirk is also like decidedly already the least emotionally intelligent person in town. Oh yeah. <laughs> and what is it he what is he says that he he apologizes. He starts- oh he apologizes for not expressing his concerns about Dean <laughs> sooner. <Yeah>. Because Dean <laughs> because- has evil hair. And and it's and because it's all about Kirk. So, yeah. you know, it's my fault. I didn't express concern, so now you have a broken heart. Uh, that that is I mean, that is interestingly, that does echo Miss Patty's reaction a little bit. Yeah, it she does. also it does. approaches and apologizes for she getting Dean the job and for like thinking that they were right for each other. Yeah. Like it's yeah. like they all they all kind of feel like Rory is their special precious baby and the fact that she yes. has been broken up with is all their fault. They didn't protect her well enough. And 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 the other thing is everybody is on her side, and yeah. I love that. That is a very supportive approach. She she can't really appreciate it just yet because she's still in the throes of mourning. But it's sweet for us to see, and because none of them know the full story. Like she doesn't yeah. want them to feel this bad for her because she thinks it's her fault. Yes, everybody does. Miss Patty thinks it's her fault. Kirk thinks it's his fault. Well, but I mean, I mean. But I mean, like Rory, like knows what really happened and knows yeah. that the reason he broke up with her is because she couldn't say "I love you," and she feels right, this right. guilt over that and feels that Dean is not actually guilty of breaking up with her. But but I, uh, but they but they all feel guilt. She's as yeah, wrong as sure. they are. She, it's not yeah. her fault. And and she, they they all feel a little bit of guilt. It's all a little, a little bit different. But her guilt is no more. I mean, it's it's real, but it's not accurate. You know, yeah. she she should not be feeling guilty. She should be feeling grief. I mean, let, let's look at this from realistically. This boy has broken up with you because you could not tell him you loved him. That is not a boy you need to be with right now. So it's it's in some ways a good breakup, but it's still a very painful breakup, a very painful situation. 
And that's her first one. Her first boyfriend, yeah. her first breakup. So her, her first love, even though she couldn't say it. And people will tell you, and it's been written in, in romantic comedies and in books and novels and poetry, that your first love is the hardest one to get over. And it absolutely is. And I think it's because it's the first, the first experience is the first time you open yourself up completely. And when it's over, it's gut-wrenching because you think this is it this is this is so this is such a great feeling I love feeling like this I'm going to be I'm going to feel like this for the rest of my life and then it's over with so um it's it's horrible it's a horrible feeling and that but she is not letting herself feel that just yet because she's staying busy and they're in the uh they're in the diner Kirk is trying to apologize to her and then they sit down and they're talking and Dean shows up he starts walking towards the you want to set this up yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so Luke is uh, not exactly where Rory and Lorelai are. They're kind of absorbed in their conversation and in trying to get Kirk to leave them the hell alone. Yeah. But Luke, meanwhile, looks out the window and sees Dean approaching and pretty much immediately goes outside and starts trying to warn Dean off. And it like very quickly escalates. It, I will say, like, I feel like this was a little bit. Uh, you have to suspend disbelief. Yeah, you have to suspend if you're, disbelief. If you're, if you're the if you're the owner of this diner and you are telling this sixteen year old boy to to bug off, most sixteen year old boys are going to turn around and leave. Yeah, especially considering that Dean knows that Rory and Lorelai are obsessed with coffee and are always in Luke's diner. Like you would mm-hmm. think that it would connect with him immediately. Oh, he's telling me to leave because Rory's in there. You yeah. know? Like so- Dean's not an idiot. You'd think that he would just get that. <laughs> but for some reason they're both being bullheaded and they just they they kind of start wrestling. And yeah. I mean, it's, it's really just a matter of, of Lucas kind of wrapped himself around Dean to try and get him to push to push him back. I but mean, then yeah, it Luke, escalates into wrestling. Yeah, Luke and, kind of starts by p- physically pushing Dean back. And then it just, yeah, it very quickly escalates into full-on wrestling in the middle of the street. <laughs> it's a little weird. It's a little rough. It's a little violent. But then we cut back to Rory and Lorelai at their table talking and in the background, out the window, are these two men wrestling. And they're oblivious to it at first. And I mean, I had to stop. I was laughing so hard. And I'm trying to not start laughing now. It was, it was the funniest visual I have ever seen in this, in this show. I think they're not even just oblivious. I think Lorelai is literally saying something along the lines of, you can't live your life assuming that Dean is going to show up everywhere. He's not everywhere. And he's like literally yes. right outside yes. the window. Yes. <laughs> And then it, it only takes about 10 seconds for her to finally look over because, you know, out of the corner of her eye, she's yeah. seeing movement and she turns and looks and, and kind of, oh, my God, gets up and runs outside and pulls them apart. And I was I was so still laughing at this point. So I'm not sure I didn't I didn't notice if Rory joined her or not. Rory doesn't help to pull them apart, but she does come outside and she does like they're both telling the boys to stop. Okay. Um, and yeah, I have like I have very complex feelings about this scene because on like a, a level of entertainment, it is hilarious and it is oh, very God, fun yeah. to watch. Mm-hmm. On a level of realism, I have an issue with like it just it just still feels weird to me that Dean wouldn't just like understand what was happening and walk away. And He's then on bullheaded the, like, though. He is I a mean, little yeah. bullheaded. Yeah. From, I mean, from, kinda... from a stubbornness standpoint, yeah, yeah. It's just like as I was watching it, I was like, "Come on, dude, are you this dumb?" <laughs> But then my my final layer of, like, realism issue with it is, okay, if I take this scene literally and, like, if I if this were something that happened in my life, I would be extremely disappointed with Luke. Like, really? 
he assaulted a teenager. <laughs> okay, like he, did he is the aggressor him. in this scene. Well, if, 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 if I think about this, like if I think about this happening in real life, Luke doesn't have the whole story, and he had kind of attacked a teenager. I do think he did it in a way that was not intended to cause real harm, but yeah. like one of them is the adult in this situation, and it's Luke. He should know better than to put his hands on Dean. Dean is a teenager. My feeling though is that this it looks a little bit like a father-child thing to me, and, and I'll explain that. Also, Dean is just as big as Luke. I mean, he may I mean be, yeah, like he is a teenager. They're well matched. Physically, they are well matched, and he's not hurting him. He's just trying to stop him. So he's like wrapped himself around him. And, you know, it is it's like it is it's very like, it's funny like, to look at. It is sure. funny to look. <laughs> it is like they're pushing against each other. So you know, it's like one wants to get in one direction and one wants to stop him. So <laughs> it's it, it, it's very funny, and and they're not really hurting each other. Although at some point, I think he has Dean's head under his arm. That's a little scary. But otherwise, it's a hilarious scene. Also, also heartbreaking because he's trying to protect Rory. That's that's what's going on here. Luke wants to protect Rory. He is determined to do that because he's her father. I mean, he feels yeah. he's he's assumed a fatherly role. And and Dean, I don't does he even know? Does Dean even know that Rory's in there? I don't think he knows. I because I, I think I think if he knew, I I think he wouldn't want to go in because he spends like the rest of the episode avoiding both her and Lane. Yeah. So I, I yeah I think if he knew the truth, he wouldn't want to go in. But Luke at no point says Rory's in there. He just keeps saying yeah. I'm I get to refuse you service if I want to, and I'm doing that. Except he's doing that out on the street where he does not have quote unquote jurisdiction. <laughs> Yeah, and he, I mean, he could stand in front of his door and prevent him from coming in. It is a private establishment. Sure. But um, so my, I'm thinking as I'm laughing through this scene, what does Dean think's going on here? What does he think is yeah, going on here? This you is know, my question. Why, why, why is Luke trying to prevent me from giving him my business? He doesn't really tell him. And, you know, so he must assume, he has to assume at this point that everybody in the town knows yeah. and that they're just mad at him. He doesn't really understand or realize that that he's actually trying to protect Rory. And, like, I, I, I think this is just, like, a prime example of a scene where, like, I think it works really well within the episode but it partly part of the reason that it works so well is because this episode is kind of high on artifice. Like, yeah. you know, Miss Patty magically knows what's happened. Yes. The, the whole town has already made up, already knows and has made up their mind and they all want to protect Rory like a precious little baby. So like, because of all of those things, it totally works well dramatically. I'm just saying that there is a part of my brain that's like, okay, if this were really happening and I knew an actual adult man my age who like tried to fight a teenager in the street i would be like dude you can't be doing that kind of shit yeah that being said i do think as the guy who plays luke's his name is scott patterson right yeah i I think scott patterson does not get enough credit for having like pretty good comedic chops in this episode he does he's very good yeah it it does work really well as like a piece of farce which then has a very sad ending because it kind of ends on rory and dean finally looking at each other and rory tries to reach out and kind of uh, apologize slash see how he's doing and he just wants none of it and immediately walks away from her which was surprising to me because i would have thought 
just the opposite. That Dean at this point had 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 night to sleep on it, and he could he would apologize to her, and she would be the one who was hurt and walk leave leave the interaction. But it's not what I expected at all. So she's acting mature here. She's trying to reach yeah. out to him, and he's yeah. still acting like a little baby. I think this is one of two moments of interesting emotional maturity that we see from Rory in this episode. The later one, unfortunately, being with Tristan. Yeah, it is, but it's a good scene, and we'll get to that. Yeah. At, at some point um but yeah but but i mean like i'm right there with you and i feel like there is a I, i think there's a couple of layers here technically what happened is that dean broke up with rory rory and dean however are kind of treating it like she broke up with him because she's the one who didn't say I love you, which Dean is taking to mean, or which Dean is taking as a full-on rejection of him, even though that's not how she meant it. And then I feel like the show kind of vacillates back and forth between, well, I think the show mostly is treating it like it's just sort of a tragic miscommunication, (laughs) Um, which is maybe closest to the truth, but I am still of the opinion that I think Dean needed to not expect a, a return when he said what he said. I, I don't really consider this to be decent grounds for a breakup unless it continued for a really long time. So here's two questions about that. This happens a lot in movies and TVs where yeah. uh, one of the members of a couple, and I'm not sure I can even say if it's mostly men or mostly women, but one one of the two people says I love you and the other one doesn't and it destroys the relationship. So that's I've seen that a lot. I don't know that I've seen it in real life a lot, but but at the same time, it, it's such it's such a trope, really, yeah. that I think it influences the way media influences us sometimes. It influences sure. real relationships to the point where real people may f- be afraid to express their feelings because, well, you saw what happened in Friends or you saw what happened mm-hmm. in, in, in this movie. They, they broke up because one of them said, I love you first. That should never be this big of a deal it should evolve over time in a a healthy relationship and it should never be this big of a deal so that's one thing so I'm bothered that we see it so often in movies and TV that they make such such a big deal out of it and yet at the same time these two people are very young very very not mature I don't want to say immature because that implies a negative but they're they're just that they're maturing as we watch these episodes occur. They have they're, yet they're, to mature. They're growing up. Yeah, they have yet to get there. So is it realistic? Is Dean's behavior realistic? Or is it something we have, we have come to expect in movies and TV? That's, that's hard for me to say. Because I, I do think that this situation happens more in media than it does in real life proportionally Um, because literally as you were talking I was like I can think of two other shows from a similar era to this that had a very similar plot line Uh, the first one is Scrubs which I will say so in Scrubs Elliot has a a boyfriend at one point who mishears her she has like a U2 CD she's sorting her CDs and when she picks up her U2 CD she says I love you too and he interprets that as her saying I love you to him and it does sort of cause their their breakup but it causes their breakup because they have other issues like yeah 
him thinking that she said that starts to make her feel really suffocated. And it kind of highlights something that I had already noticed as the episode was going on, which is that every time they interact, he was telling her what to do or how to behave. He was just like super Mm. controlling. And then the I love you thing made her feel even more controlled. And then the other example that I can think of is in that 70s show, Donna says, I love you to Eric. And he responds with, I love pie, I think. And I actually feel like that show is the one that handled it the best because Donna doesn't care. Eric starts freaking out that he said, I love pie. And he spends the whole episode getting to the point where he can say, I love you. But when he finally says it, Donna says to him, I wasn't saying it to you so that you would say it back. I was saying it because that's how I felt. And I feel like that's how you should treat it. <laughs> like, you should. Yeah. I, I think I probably said a bunch of this <laughs> last time too, but like, you should say it because that's how you feel, not because you're viewing it as a transactional thing where you put in an I love you card and you get an I love you card back. Like, yes, yes. I, I, I think it's used a lot in movies and TV because the actual progression of a relationship can be pretty boring. So yeah. they this throws True. drama into it. And, you know, you, if you just keep seeing these guys sitting on a bench and kissing or, or whatever, it it's not doesn't make for drama. So you've got to throw some tension into it. But it, I will add to your two examples of, of the one time I saw this happen in a in a movie, actually. And I just had to look it up really quick to confirm which movie it was, where it actually worked really well and, and was executed the way I think you should do in real life. Maybe it doesn't always happen in real life. But anyway, Shirley MacLaine and Jack Nicholson, I believe it's Terms of Endearment, because I, th- I think they made a second movie together. Maybe there was a second Terms of Endearment. I mean, there was a follow-up to it. There was a, uh, what's that called? Sequel? That's it. it. There was a sequel. So it might have been the sequel. I'm not sure which one it is. But um, there's a scene. She, they have a relationship. It's mostly sexual. He's known for having a lot of relationships. Just, you know, at this point in his career, Jack Nicholson pretty much all <laughs> played, you know, wandering kind of uh, character in a lot of his movies. But when he wasn't playing a gangster. But this one was a lovable curmudgeon, all the women love me kind of kind of thing. And he's, you know, anyway. So, so she, of course, has not had a relationship in years. And she gets much closer to him than he is to her. And, and you know, he's a very loving person. So when she says to him, and I can see this scene, I want to say she's call as he's leaving. Um, she kind of turns around and calls to him, "I love, I love you." It's like like down the street or something. I may be misremembering, but he kind of turns around and with his his signature Jack Nicholson smile, sinisterly, you know, a- attractive smile. He kind of says, "I love you too," and and he. You know that he he means it, and yet he doesn't. He doesn't mean it the same way she means it, but he does mean it. He loves her. He loves all the women in his life, but he just can't stick with one woman. It's not his personality. So, But he does love her, so it's not a lie at all, his response. And the thing is, in a lot of situations, if, if you're afraid of hurting somebody's feelings, if you're mature, it's okay to say, I love you too, because maybe you do and maybe you don't, but it's better to say that than it is to hurt the person uh, unnecessarily. But we are talking about teenagers here. Yeah. And they, they have never been in this situation before. And, and you know, really, it's, it's, it's not only not Rory's fault, it's terribly unfair of Dean. And I just want to stress yeah. that, that he knows this is her first relationship. He's been in one before. He's, he knows that this has got to be weird for her, and yet he doesn't care because it's all yeah. about him. And this is, I mean, I kind of never really loved Dean that much. His character, I thought he was cute, and he's charismatic. And I, yeah, he is a little smart, but he's not terrible. He's not as smart as Rory is. Not as academically 
uh, inclined. He surprises me sometimes with some of the things he says, but it doesn't bo- it doesn't surprise me or bother me that he breaks up with her over this. I do think that it is in line with his character, and I think honestly, the scene outside of Luke's diner also shows that. I feel like both yes! of these instances yes! are instances of him being really prideful and stubborn. Yeah. She is way more mature than he is, and that's saying something because she's... Because she's not that not mature. Not the most mature... Yeah, in some ways. She's not emotionally mature, but yeah. she is But she is behaviorally mature. She would never She would never hurt his feelings. That's, yeah. And that's a really important thing. She is trying to find a way in that car scene to to respond to him without hurting him she just can't and that's her her primary uh motivation in that scene is how do i address this how do i answer without hurting him but without lying so she because she doesn't know how she feels and it's just really she's she's very brave in that scene i think and he is just a coward yeah i kind of agree but yeah to move things along a little bit uh we then do go back we go back to the house well, before we get there, though, they're talking about their list of things. And and I wrote this down because it was funny because... Oh, um, look, Rory's list? Yeah, Rory's list of things that they're going to... Instead of going back in to get the pancakes that, that, that I guess Luke never got to start. Because he was supposed to make her chocolate, chocolate chip pancakes with a lot of whipped cream. He never gets to start that. And after the fight, uh, Rory and Lorelai leave. But as they're leaving, yeah. they're talking about the list of things that Rory wants to do. They completely forget the pancakes and they move on. And they get home and Bad Bat comes over, right? Is this before yeah. they go shopping or after? Yeah, Rory goes to, uh, well, the, we just kind of skip the shopping. Uh, but they bring in the go, bags. They bring in yeah, a bunch of bags, from, yeah. Yeah, we go from that scene to them getting home and Rory takes her, like, room freshener or something and goes to plug it in in her room. Uh, and while she's in her room, Babette comes in and starts the the whole, like, overly concerned, overly motherly thing. She wants to tell Rory about every breakup that she's ever had and how terrible most men are, but eventually she'll find a good one. Uh, and, you know, you can tell that this is what Babette wishes someone had done for her, probably. Yeah. Including the story where somebody pushed her out of a moving car. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it does sound like it might be a fun time to listen to all of Babette's stories. Oh, I'm, I'm sure it would be, yes. Um, but, you know, but Lorelai, like, understands that this is not really where Rory's at right now. Because Rory does, this sounds a little bit more like wallowing, you know, mm-hmm. listening to everyone's sad stories. It's like a variation of watching a sad movie um and that's not where rory's at right now no uh and uh while lorelei is shooing babette away um rory rediscovers in her room the invitation to the party at madeline's and pretty much on the spot decides to go uh, and Lorelai, I think, senses that she can't really <laughs> convince Rory not to go. So instead, she opts for telling Rory to take Lane, which is some great advice. It's a brilliant piece <laughs> of advice. But before she does that, she has the second line in the, in the episode that made me have to pause the show and laugh. She says, because going to a party hosted by one of her, her Chilton classmates is going to be rough. And I mean, you know, she's she's still trying to to get to a place where the classmates accept her. Now, Madeline likes her. That's the reason she invited her. Um, but but her mom says, uh, well, "Why don't you just stay home and read the Bell Jar then?" And yeah. you know, because the Bell Jar is about depression and suicide. 
I had to stop and laugh at that point because that is exactly what I was thinking too. Really? Do you want to just put a knife in your heart? You want to go socialize (laughs) with these awful, awful people? Okay, fine. With the mean people. But taking Lane, taking Lane is a great idea. It's a friendly face. It's it's a wonderful idea, and I'm glad she suggested it. So well, and Rory's desire to go to the party is just a continuation of her trying to keep herself busy. She thinks she can keep herself busy twenty four seven. And then she will never have to feel the feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is kind of her newest project to do that. Um, but yeah, so but she is into the Lane idea. So they have Lane over uh, and Lane and Rory are getting ready together. And this is where I wrote down my alternate title for the episode. Um, Lorelai has a couple of good lines in this scene. She does tell Lane, don't argue with her or you'll find yourself the owner of three garden weasels. Because <laughs> uh, apparently that's one of the things that they uh, bought uh, on their adventures that day. Garden weasels, which I yep. didn't even know were a thing. Uh, and then she also tells them that they need to open a sock drawer while they're at the party. Because rich people have hilarious sock drawers. How does she know that? And why would Because well, she, she was a rich person. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I'm Very guessing this point. is from like years of her going to like her parents' yes. friends' parties and yes. entertaining herself by looking through their sock drawers. By looking through their sock drawers, yes. Well, my take on this scene is that is it just me or does Rory still dress too baby like for a teenager? Oh yeah. yeah. And you know, you look at Lane and she's got this of course, the actress is 10 years older. Uh, the actress True. who plays Lane is, is 10 years older than the actress who plays Rory. But she is, she has this uh, lovely, Lane has this lovely red top on, this tight-fitting, you know, like a teenager would wear. Mm-hmm. It's got a little bit, there's some rosettes along the neck. But it's sexy and uh, very fashionable. And just, it's a good color for her. She looks yeah. really good. She's got her hair kind of flipped out. And that doesn't sound like it would look good, but it actually does look really good it on d- it her. It did look good, yeah. Like, it, yeah, really it looks really good. Scene. And then yeah. you turn to to her friend, Rory, who has got this baby doll dress on. She looks like she's yeah. dressing for a, f- a fifth grade party instead of, yeah. you know, 16, 17-year-olds. So it, it literally it, looks like the kind of dress you would maybe have on, like, a China doll or something. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And anyway, so there maybe that's deliberate trying to emphasize that that Rory is still so baby-like in many ways. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it definitely sort of seems to underline the way the town has been treating her this whole episode. Yeah, like it she's does. their precious baby. It is also one of those things where it, it, I don't remember the fashion of this time period well enough, but this might have just been a popular way to dress at the time. Because I, I, it does look kind of familiar. I do think I saw some things like this. I don't think I ever wore anything like this. Yeah. Because I wasn't really into that kind, especially that that sleeve. The sleeve is like a really short, like slightly puffy sleeve that just to yeah. me reads as pure baby doll clothes. It's a baby doll look, and that has come back into fashion the last couple of years too. The 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 puffy sleeve, where the you know, kind goes it's very at it's the different though. The, well, yeah, the, it the is puffy different. sleeves now but are keep, much bigger and are like but a they, more it keeps deliberate. Coming back, it, it keeps coming back yeah. into fashion. It's like, what is it about women and, and wanting to dress like little girls? I don't, I don't get that. Well, I, I, th- I think the I, I'm, I'm going to argue with you there. I think this the fashion that is happening right now is different from 
this specific sleeve that Rory has because the sleeves are bigger and they are a deliberate throwback to like vintage like 1800s clothing and and earlier that this is like it's uh, a lot of it is part of the like cottage core aesthetic uh what and is it cottage core aesthetic i don't know that i'm going to be able to get into cottage core aesthetic oh, right now oh man okay <laughs> there, there are there are whole <laughs> trends on the internet of people who intentionally dress like they are living in a way far gone era like uh, the victorian era or the regency period yeah uh, i've so seen that yeah the the trend now and and i think that has bled into broader fashion you see a lot of tops now that are kind of peasant tops or that have these like puffy sleeves and i think it is a, an intentional throwback to 100 year old vintage clothing but it's plus. but it's been integrated into short tight knit tops yeah 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 a lot of them so are like, like crop tops yeah it's the crop tops and it's just and they look great except for that stupid ass sleeve and i, I just think <laughs> it's ugly and it makes them look like little girls and i and i understand what you're saying but it doesn't look it's not attractive it's not an attractive look but anyway which the dress she's wearing is a little bit like that along those lines it's not you're right it's not as prominent the sleeve isn't I mean, as yeah, prominent the, the 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 version that she's wearing in my mind is the baby version yeah like it's the version that you literally put on babies and on baby dolls and like there is an adult version and that's not what she's wearing yeah yeah uh oh, but yeah but oh at uh, then we also, during this scene with Lane, Laurel, uh, Rory comes across the cornstarch, the cornstarch that she accidentally stole when Dean first kissed her, uh, which is, apart from the bracelet, probably the biggest memento of their yeah. relationship. Yeah. Um, but Lorelai also takes that away from her and goes to put it away. Uh, after uh, Lane and Rory leave, uh, Lorelai goes to put it away and rediscovers her own box for Max. It's got the book in it, the book that he gave her or loaned to her. We're not really sure. But she grabs the book, and I'm not really sure at first what she's doing. She gets dressed. She goes over to Suki's house, where we have a delightful scene with with Suki and and Jackson. That is hilarious, uh, where Jackson is trying to cook her a meal. But, oh, my God, you cannot cook uh, a meal for a chef who is Mm -hmm. as controlling as Mm -hmm. Suki is. So they're going back and forth to the point where Suki doesn't even hear Lorelai at first. But anyway, she finally Mm -hmm. calms down. She sits down, and Lorelai says, can I borrow your car? Um, And we still don't know what's going on, but she borrows the car and drives to Max's house. Did you want to add to this scene about Suki? Uh, Jackson, at at one point, Jackson pops his head out and basically, like, escalates with Suki by saying that he is also going to clean up afterward. Yes! And then she reminds him that she has a chart by the dishwasher that will show him how to put stuff inside. Uh, And I related to that. Yeah, I, I did too, except that if he's willing to clean up, just let him. Yeah, yeah, so we get to the next scene, and I have a very, I have multiple very important notes about the music in the next scene. The rich kids are once again playing Beck at their party. Uh, the song but, as we but enter But that's not is, all. They, we also hear Elvis Costello later on. <laughs> I said I had multiple notes. Okay, okay. Uh, 
<laughs> so the first the first song is Beck. It's where it's at, but it's the song that my brain refuses to call anything but two turntables and a microphone. That's, that's, what, that's, it that's yeah. what it is. That's what it is. Yeah. That's not what it's called, but it's no, called I know. where it's I at. Know. But that's what it is. That's how everybody knows it. Yeah. Uh, so they play that song. At one point, they're playing Outcast, and then it goes to Elvis Costello's Every Day I Write Every the Book. Every Day I Write the Book, one of my favorite songs. Which is songs. a great song, but as my own school's resident Elvis Costello fan, I have to tell you that that was an incredibly unrealistic part of the episode. Yeah. Teenagers I, in this era who were not named me <laughs> yes, were not yes, listening yes, to Elvis yes. Costello. I was the only one. I was or alone. if they were, it was Allison, which would have been yeah. a much more realistic song to play at this party. Yeah. I mean, interestingly, during the period that... I worked at an unnamed big box chain store. <laughs> they actually had several Elvis Costello songs on the playlist that they would play. But when I was in high school, I was the only one I knew. I was in a grocery store one time. Now, when I was growing up, the music in the grocery store was just like the elevator music. It was all music, and it was just awful. But one day, I was in the grocery store, and I found myself singing along to Van Morrison. And I was probably in my 30s. Wasn't that? I wasn't that old, maybe maybe 40-ish, all of a sudden I realized I'm in a grocery store and I'm singing along to Van Morrison who was, was coming out of the speakers in the grocery store. I stopped in my tracks. thought, what the hell is happening in this world? Van Morrison in a grocery store? So things have changed. And when I, so I have to assume that a lot more people know this music than you and I assume do. Maybe, although it also occurs to me that if they're playing it in a grocery store, it could actually mean that whatever music they're playing is just like relative cheap to license for where they're playing or it. if somebody has created a playlist and sold it to yeah. grocery stores that's what i assumed at yeah. the time yeah um but yeah so lane and rory show up at the house lane is kind of blown away by how big the house is and it is big it is it's, yeah, it's way it's bigger than her grandparents house so yeah and it's in like the number of rooms that are implied goes way beyond like what we see but what we do see are giant central entertaining rooms a room with a pool table a room with a piano and the room with the piano has almost no one in it so it's like that one must be so far off of the main party that no one has come in here and somebody somebody calls it it's like a teenage Sodom and Gomorrah I forget who said that but that's what I it think felt Lane like. says that yeah she asks Rory is this what your grandparents house looks like and Rory responds no I mean it's big but it's not this Hearst castle yeah which implies that the rooms go on and on forever and that it's kind of labyrinthine uh, oh and then Lane does say there should be a tour guide or a map or robin leach or something I, I had to look that up but apparently robin leach was a british journalist he he had a show on for a long time actually i was surprised at how long it went uh lifestyles of the rich and famous oh that you, makes sense you, yeah okay. you've probably heard of that i have i never saw a single episode but i saw all the snl jokes about it and i think there was actually somebody <laughs> on there uh, one time who who specifically did Robin Leach and that was my reference for Robin Leach was Saturday Night Live so yeah he's he's been made fun of more than I mean I've seen people making fun of him more than I've ever seen the actual show but he would yeah. I guess it was a show where he went into people's homes and and interviewed them and showed their houses and this is this is the 90s I think so yeah are you finished to hear notes because I have a few too but go ahead if you're not I was just going to say, uh, they, they do see Madeline, and Madeline is pretty excited to see Rory there. They, they don't talk for very long, but, like, Madeline sees her, and she's like, you came! I guess I just mainly want to say that, like, I kind of love Madeline. Louise yeah. is still horrible, but Madeline is kind of adorable. She's very sweet. 
at some point in here, there's kind of a, the camera pulls back and shows how big the room is, how many kids are in this mm-hmm. room. And I was surprised. I thought, is the whole school there? But then all of a sudden, a black person walks across the screen. A, a oh, young black woman, new. in fact. Yeah. And I was like, mm. wow, I wrote it down. A black person walked across the screen. We never see black people in this show. So, yeah. um, but then then um, the two friends, Madeline, and what's the other girl's name? Louise. Louise. And Louise has to convince Madeline to go make out with the boy uh, because Madeline she is so to, like, fixated on Rory. what's happening. What, yeah. what's, go- what's going on here again now? What are we going to be doing with the boys? Yeah, they're going to the yeah. end. And of course, Paris has one of the best lines of the night. Um, no glove, no love. I, I mean, the- <laughs> yeah, she says, yeah. So that the exchange that happens is Louise starts like using innuendo to hint that they're going to go make out with these boys. And Madeline's like, no, I want to stay here. And Louise says, Madeline, you are not confused. Think, process, focus. <laughs> and then she goes, oh, and they start to walk off. And yeah, that's when Paris says, no glove, no love. Yeah. Louise kind of shoots back at her lovely, uh, which I do want to say, like, I don't like Louise as a character. But the actress playing her has a really interesting voice when she gets to talk for long periods of time. Yeah. She kind of has, like, her voice kind of reminds me of, like, an old school movie star. Yeah, I'm surprised she didn't become a famous actress. She's a pretty good actress. Yeah. And yeah, she's, she's really got good. she's got like matinee looks too. Yeah. So then we then we get the Korean boy walks up. This is this yes. is the best part of the, the party for me. Yeah. The one Korean boy, Lane says, would have his Korean girl radar turned on. And he does. Mm-hmm. He has it on, he yeah. finds her, and she is just flummox. He is perfect. He's smart. He's funny. He likes the same music. He likes to dance. Um, they have they have same, similar cultural references. And he's Korean. And she's like, I can't do this. My parents yeah. would love him. <laughs> How can I love somebody? How can I like somebody my parents would love? Well, and it's interesting because we don't really get his side of things because he's not the character that we're focused on. So I was kind of wondering in this scene, I wonder if he's going up to her because his parents have treated him the same way and have really coached him to only want to date someone Korean or if he's going up to her because he's tired of being at parties that are almost exclusively populated by white people. Yes. And they do have shared cultural references because yeah. of their heritage. But then what's what's sweet about it is that they realize they have more than that. So um, I, I think that's great. I mean, he it, it almost feels like she, she could have potentially found a soulmate, someone who is also growing up within the confines and concerns strengths mm-hmm. of of the korean family culture but is in the world you know mm-hmm. is is aware of the music he wants to be a pediatrician because he wants it not because his yeah. parents want it and because he's he's he was very engaged in talking to her uh and you know lane is beautiful so of course he is you know he's, he's drawn to her right away but it, it's so exciting it's like wow I'm really hopeful that this is going to work out for her, even though I think we know that it doesn't. Boy, it sure would be nice if it did. And it's just nice to get to see Lane having a good time. Yes, yes. It feels like all of her screen time up until now has either been bad things happening to her or her accidentally embarrassing herself or her being treated poorly by Rory. So Yeah. yeah, it's just... Nice to see an episode where both Lane gets to have a good time and where Rory, like, actually has to act as a friend to Lane and, yes. like, be her wingman for once. Yeah, it's great. And and also get to see Lane dancing. She's a really yes. good dancer. Oh, and so while this scene is going on, we do get some cutting back and forth between mm-hmm. the party and Lorelai, who has gone to Max's apartment. Uh, and my first question about that is, has Max 
always lived in a basement apartment. Do you remember? Does he live in Hartford? I assume so. Teaches at Chilton. It's in Hartford. I feel like only bigger cities have basement apartments. So, you know, maybe, I mean, New York obviously does. It definitely looks like a New York apartment when she walks That's what up. it looks like, like. Maybe he lives in New York? Maybe, but if she's if she's in Connecticut and she went to New York, like, you can do that, but that would be probably at least a two-hour drive. Yeah. Would he really be doing that every day to work at... Uh, well, and, and that's the other thing is, would he really be working at a private high school and paying for an apartment in New York? I think he's got to That's the bigger point. Because you did have a teacher at Wesleyan that lived in New York City, your art teacher. Yes, but she was... She's a wealthy. character. And she was, she was a character. Yeah, she was wealthy both from, she came from a pretty well-to-do family. She was paid a professor's salary, which is generally higher than a high school teacher's salary. Yeah. And she was also a very successful painter in her own right, sold yeah. her own paintings for quite a lot of money, and also was just one of those people who was never not going to live in New York. And I don't know that Max is one of those people. So I think we have to assume this is Hartford and yeah. just suspend disbelief once again. But anyway, it's a, it's a base apartment she shows up at the door my first thought in that scene is oh he's got a girl in there and he doesn't <laughs> i mean you know doesn't it isn't that what it looks like they're setting us up for yeah for sure she ostensibly is there to return his book that's going to be her we never see the book again but we we know that that's what her fallback is oh i'm just here to return the book but before they can even get into that, they start talking, then they start kissing, then they pull apart and start to, and talk again and put a table between them. And that doesn't work because they are drawn to each other and then they end up having yeah. sex. But at the end of it, when they're laying there talking, she, she's doing her usual thing where she's just making light of everything. You know, she's the one. She's the one that wanted Rory to wallow, to actually give some, give herself some time to grieve, and yet she herself avoids honesty and discussions and relationships with the people she needs to have them with. She avoids it like the plague. So she's making light of their relationship. You know, I guess we're never going to see each other again. This was a one, you know, one. And he's like, no, I want this to continue. We have to figure out a way to make this work. And then he, he gets her attention and she takes off with that. And she realizes, yeah. you're right. We have to find a way to make this work. And that's that's where we leave that. Uh, we do then go back to the party the party. Uh, and this is where we get the scene with Tristan. So the first thing that happens is that Tristan's uh, girlfriend, who is apparently named Summer now, um, he calls her Summer several times, but I'm pretty sure in the previous episode when she showed up, someone called her Belle. But I don't know. I could be getting that wrong. She's named Summer now, and she like very publicly breaks up with him in a way that's kind of humiliating. Uh, she breaks up with him in a room full of other dudes who are all kind of watching and snickering. Rory's there too. And the way that she breaks up with him is basically to be like, you're annoying now. I'm done with you, <laughs> which is pretty humiliating. And, you know, couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. <laughs> You know, it's funny. It's they we they're turning the tables on Tristan here. We feel sorry for him. Yeah. It's hurtful what she that she's not only saying this to him, but so loudly that everybody. Yes. And she doesn't break up with him in private. It's a very public mm -hmm. breakup, and he is humiliated. But I think it's more. He, I think he has such a strong sense a uh, sense of himself that it's mm -hmm. more that it's hurtful. He, it's yeah. you know he doesn't want people to see how hurt he is, and so he 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 goes off to the piano room 
Before before he does that, though, Lane walks through and says, I can't believe I'm falling for a guy my parents would approve of. So, yeah, yes. they're, they're bringing that up again. And they were getting ready to leave when the Korean guy comes and asks for another dance. So Rory sits down with a book. She always has a book with her. And, in fact, I remember thinking when she was leaving the house for the party that she grabbed a book and put it in her bag. Yeah. That why would you take a book to a party? But whatever, that's that's her. Um, so somehow I mean, she yeah, gets... it's very her. It would be hilarious if the book was the bell jar, but... but wouldn't it though? And then somehow she gets to the piano scene, and I can't remember if she if she's looking for a new place to sit or she. How does she find him in the piano room? Do you remember? I think maybe she like wanders past Lane again, and it's not time yet for them to go. So then she ends up wandering into the room and. Finds Finding Tristan. I think as soon as she sees him, you can kind of see on her face that she wants to reach out to him because she feels really bad about yeah. what happened to him earlier. Well, and they're, and they're going through the same thing. They're both going yes. through the same thing. Yeah, so she kind of feels a kinship with him. And I feel like maybe also, I don't know, I, I had a lot of thoughts uh, about this scene. I definitely think that she is just feeling this desire to be kind to him. I also kind of wondered if maybe what she's saying to him is something that she wants to be able to say to Dean, but he won't listen to her long enough for it. It definitely felt like a little bit her guilt about what happened with Dean was also underpinning this scene. Also, you know, like I I have seen this trick before and I do think it works pretty well it's just that i've seen it enough times that i'm aware of it now and it's this trick where you introduce a male character and you have him be really terrible for a long time and then you decide that now it's time for the audience to be on his side so we have a new episode where something terrible happens to him and we just don't see any more of his previous terrible behavior and it often just serves to completely switch over your sympathy to be with him but i just want to say that i don't think the girl should have dumped him publicly the way she did but everything else about that breakup, he absolutely deserved. Well, and he has been very public in his his attempts to humiliate Rory over the, the, yeah. the preceding months. So I don't feel bad about that part of it. It does strike me, and I wrote this down, that Tristan simply cannot conceive that other people might have compassion for him, which is mm-hmm. what Rory is having in this scene. She wants to cheer him up. She wants to commiserate with him. She has compassion for him. And at first, she's just astounded by that. He thinks she's there to make fun of him, to rub it in, mm-hmm. because he treated her so badly. And then he apologizes for having treated her so so badly. And she kind of poo-poos it at first, and he, and he, re, he re-emphasizes, no, I need to apologize. It was really bad what I did. And she said, okay, I accept your apology. And so there, and that's good, because she needs to do that. She needs mm-hmm. to accept it. She needs to acknowledge that he treated her poorly and be willing to move on and accept his apology. But then he ruins it by kissing her. So, they, you know, they're sitting on the, on the piano bench. He's facing forward. Yeah. She's facing the other way. It's a natural thing to have happen. And yet it's not really what either one of them needs at this moment. I can yeah. see how, how the writers think it, it's plausible. But it doesn't mean that it's a good thing to happen. And yeah. it, But it does snap her out of her need to be busy and realize yes. that she does need to grieve. Kind of forces her to have some feelings yeah it she realizes she cries she starts crying i think that this exchange between the two of them and specifically his 
belief that she couldn't possibly be there to do anything but make fun of him yeah. is kind of a, an echo of scenes that she's had with Paris at least once, maybe a couple of times, where Paris, mm-hmm. both Tristan and Paris sort of treat life like it's a zero-sum game, and if you get humiliated, then someone else is profiting off of that, and it naturally is going to be the person that you have previously humiliated. Mm-hmm. Both Tristan and Paris have previously treated Rory pretty terribly. In my opinion, Tristan much worse than Paris, yes. except I guess Paris did kind of spread around the thing about Lorelai and Max, but also Lorelai and Max shouldn't have been doing that. So I don't know. And Rory had a similar conversation with Paris then where she's like, you know, I, I wouldn't have rubbed anything in your face. You know, I, I wasn't going to rub the divorce in your face. Similarly, when she found out that Paris had brought her cousin to the dance, you know, she makes it very clear to her that like, I wasn't going to humiliate you over this. You ended up humiliating yourself. I just feel bad for you. And I'm here to talk to you if yeah. you want to talk. And that's kind of what she's doing with Tristan. But yeah, unfortunately, he sort of <laughs> decides that this is a moment to kiss her which I do think makes sense. And I also suspect that Tristan is absolutely the kind of guy who cannot really interpret any kindness from a woman in any way that is non-sexual or non-romantic. Yeah, I agree. Also, I think both Tristan and Paris are having character transformations that are brought about by the kindness that Rory shows them. So she's a catalyst in their lives. And, they, you know, I don't think, I don't know if they ever realized that, but they both have turning points in this season. I'm not totally convinced that this is a true turning point for Tristan. I think it's a possible turning it's point. The be- I think it's the beginning of one. He, you know, with, with it's also, it was also the beginning of one for, for Paris, who has become nicer to yeah. Rory, but it's still just this, this depressed, she she never smiles. She's just got this depressed look on her face all the time. She's not a happy camper ever. She does kind of come to gr- start to grow out of that over the the coming seasons. Becomes more animated. Becomes more comes to love her life a little bit more. Be a little bit happier character. But she doesn't yeah. right now. She is still very depressed. Tristan may be depressed. I don't know, but he I mean, he's certainly got some psychological issues, some beha- certainly some behavioral health issues. It's the term yeah. now. But I think that, that that for both of them, Rory is a, a much needed catalyst in their privileged lives. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think she is definitely a potential catalyst for both of them. I am just not yet convinced, and I don't remember. I am yeah, not yet convinced. Here if Tristan is actually changing because in this scene all we're seeing from him is that he is currently really sad and really embarrassed and he is still relating to Rory sexually like sure in this scene it is the least gross with her that he's ever been but the bulk of this scene is Rory feeling empathy for him not him feeling empathy for anyone outside of himself Mm -hmm. his attempt to kiss her is kind of just a less horrible variation of what he's been doing the whole time. He's he's yeah. been hitting on her the whole time. He openly asked her out to the dance. Uh, he's just been doing it in this like kind of gross, aggressive, entitled way. And this has been maybe the least entitled that he's acted with her. But he's literally like in the aftermath of a humiliation, so he's literally feeling quite humbled. And even so, he does still kiss her, which means he is still relating to her sexually. 
And to me, that is not yet evidence of real growth. Whereas Paris, we have actually seen her enjoy herself when she wasn't expecting and like truly reach out to Rory multiple times. You know, not in mm-hmm. a huge way, but like we've we've seen real change. They've connected in Paris in in that movie yeah. theater scene. They they definitely connected. They yes. both were enjoying the movie on an you know in an intellectual and emotional way. Where the Concert, other two girls. Was it? A, I thought it was. Oh concert. yeah, it was a concert. Yeah, it was the Bengals. Bengals. The Bengals. Uh, yeah. Why did they think it was a movie? Did they go to? They didn't go to a movie together. It was just a concert. Okay. So, but they're they're enjoying it together. On and they're kind of on an even keel with each other at that point. And the other two mm-hmm. girls go off with the boys. So they really are. They they, they would make a very and they, and they do at some point. They the, the friendship does develop between them. But they are definitely on the same wavelength i mean yeah and and in fact the two of them plus lane all three of them are kind of on the same intellectual emotional way well not emotional wavelength because paris (laughs) paris is damaged emotionally so for sure but um but yeah so they are they are kind of they do get to connect i do give tristan credit for apologizing for recognizing his bad behavior and apologizing but i agree with you that it was inappropriate for him to kiss her because he sees every girl as his for the taking yeah and i just maybe this is just because i've seen i i have experienced in my life people who have apologized and then continued the same behavior anyway oh yeah oh yeah so (laughs) for me an apology is a step but not nearly enough we don't know yet. We don't know if it's going to change how he acts towards her. Yeah. But that pretty much brings us into the very final scene of the episode. Uh, as soon as he kisses her, Rory starts crying and runs to Lane and tells her that they have to go home. Uh, and Lane tells the boy how to find her uh, and then leaves with Rory. And then we get Rory crying at home when Lorelai arrives back at home. And I just want to say that the visual of those two huge Ben and Jerry's tubs of ice cream. <laughs> I, 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 in fact, Ben and Jerry's not only specializes in smaller containers of ice cream. I have never seen any ice cream container that large, except for the ones in the big Costco and Sam's kind of warehouse stores. So it, it was huge, and she's got two of them. So I guess it's two different flavors. But she, she's eating, usually when they eat it out of a container, it's like a gallon. This is like five gallons. That's how big these tubs are. And she puts, she sets it down. Her mom grabs her. She's crying. And the episode ends with her laying a pillow on her lap, pulling her daughter's head in, into the pillow and laying there and just, you know, smoothing her hair. And, you know, gently, just it's very sweet. And I'm sitting here thinking, you got to go put that ice cream up before it thaws and melts all over you. <laughs> so that's the end of the episode. She also orders a pizza. Oh, yeah. While she's she's rubbing her hair with one hand, she picks up the phone with the other, punches one button because they've got mm-hmm. him on speed dial, and calls him. And, and I, she knows the guy's name. I forget what the guy's Joe, guy, I think. J- Joe, Lorelai, we need a pizza with, with everything on it and hangs up. I don't think I've ever had a pizza with everything but that sounds pretty bad. <laughs> oh, it's awful. I would imagine every every meat, every vegetable, you know, maybe a couple kinds of cheese. It's... And is there pineapple? Does everything include pineapple? Is there it, pineapple it, it and anchovies? Knowing these two, it probably does, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's also possible that maybe they just have a menu item that's called pizza with everything, but it's not literally everything. Oh, uh, it know. could be, but it could be. But I think we're being too literal. I think it's supposed yeah. to be it's supposed to be an image that we conjure up. Yeah. 
of a pizza with a lot of crap on it. So yeah, <laughs> see, and, and and just the fact that he knows who it is without a last name and where she lives or anything, mm-hmm. and that he's supposed to deliver it, and he maybe even has her credit card on file. He's one of at least two what I'll call invisible town members. Mm, yeah, because uh, he he gets referenced a couple of times. There's like one pizza place, and it's this place, and it's run by Joe. Uh, and then there's also Al's Pancake World, which I assume is run by an Al. And we also never actually see Al's Pancake World. And I don't think we ever see Al. So both of these people no. are like established repeat references, but I don't think we ever see either of them. Yeah, and I don't think we ever see Joe either. But anyway, so my take on this episode is that it's, it's just a lot more growing up for everyone in this episode as we're getting ready to wind down the season. I mean, Luke sleeps in, which is something he never does. Lorelai gets up too early, and which is outside her comfort zone, uh, but she's following her daughter's lead, which is the, the title of our podcast. Um, so they run errands instead of wallowing. She's following her lead rather than forcing her to do it her way. Blaine finds somebody her parents can like. And does she say parents in the plural? I, I wrote that down. And I'm thinking, I think she does. I think she does. And I think there are repeated references to Lane having a father. I think we just don't we ever see never him. never see him. So, and then Lorelai agrees after they see each other. She agrees to talk to Max instead of continuing to run away. They have to have a very important conversation about the fact that she is Rory's mother and he is Rory's teacher, and how are they going to make that work? That's There's a lot of growing up in this episode for everyone. I love this episode. It was full of, it was it had just the right amount of, a little bit of everything. Just the right amount of everything. There was some conflict. There was some honorary characters who are acquiring a little bit of maturity. Tristan in, in Paris, there's some, there's a lot of love interest, you know, a lot of these different love stories going on, including Luke and Rachel, which we don't really know much about yet, except that she is staying with him. And, you know, there's Max comes back into the picture. Dean leaves the picture, presumably for forever. I'm not sure. I don't remember the series going forward. There's a lot, a lot happens in this, in this episode. And it's like, <laughs> it's like we can go three or four episodes with pretty much nothing happening. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. everything happens in this one episode. It's definitely putting us on a trajectory to end the season because it's yeah. set, setting up a lot of stuff. So that's, it was yeah. a good episode. I liked it and it was funny. It was witty. It was um, emotional. It was, there was a lot of pathos in it. Yeah. It was emotional. And I, it was, a, I thought it was a very well done episode. I didn't see any continuity problems except for her, them calling her a 16 year old. Yeah. I would actually say I'm a little bit impressed with the continuity because yeah. Uh, yeah. Madeline did did invite Rory to the party in the previous episode. So they're following through on a very Mm -hmm. tiny little thread there. Well, and I think they just take on too much with the continuity stuff. They they try to, they they mention the day, they'll mention what day it is and then not stick to that timeline too often. But in this episode, they don't do that. So they're not taking on too much. It's not too much to unravel. It's not a parent episode. The parents aren't, uh, grandparents, I mean, they're not in the episode at all. It's not exactly a school episode because nothing at Chilton, but there are Chilton people in it. So it's mostly a town and a Chilton 
episode kind of and it's a very good episode i thought it was one of one of the best ones of the season probably what about you boy it's hard for me to say like best of the season but i did think it was really good yeah it was it was a really entertaining episode it was one of those ones where i got caught up in watching it and yes of, uh, and forgetting to take some of my notes so yeah. i have to like go back and and re-watch and, and take my notes so yeah i do think this is one of the better episodes yeah you know i think i've said this before so this is not actually the last that we see of Dean minor spoiler but he he is still in the show for a little bit I think I mentioned this in that that damn Donna Reed episode Dean is not my favorite character and I think we are we have already hit the point where I'm going to be more and more critical of him he's just not very deep I think he's a good representation of a teenage boy and here's the thing if there's a demographic of people that I unilaterally hate it is teenage boys (laughs) yeah except for your brother (laughs) He's not a teenage boy anymore. No, but when he was, he was a pretty good teenage boy. He was he was a little bit better than this. But, True, um, but I was also in college for a lot of that, so uh, I just didn't really have to deal with him very much as a teenager. In my mm-hmm. mind, he went from child to adult. So. <laughs> well, in my mind, he didn't. I went through all that for with sure. him day, on a daily basis, and he was he was a much better person than Dean is. Much yeah. much more interesting, much deeper, much more sensitive. D- Dean is a, a cute boy who is used yeah. to getting his way. And mm-hmm. he is a typical, I mean, he's not macho, but he's hes very traditional. And, he's a little um, macho. Not like yeah. super macho, but a little. Well, he does play football. I mean, he's a football player. Oh, and that's the thing. Aren't they having football practice and they can't buy, go by the school? Yeah, we, we kind of skipped past this. But yeah, there's a part where they're trying to figure out how they're going to get to Luke's. And so there's a continuity it, problem. It's, it's not official. <laughs> it's not official football. It's he plays and it might be soccer. It, like he plays a sport okay. with his friends that happens to be at school. Because football, not, football is a fall. It's also like it's sport. it's the I think it's the weekend. It, it, okay. It's not like a school they're just, thing. They're just okay. It's just like they're a, just playing okay. there. So anyway, so he he's that he's that guy. So you were in the middle of giving your summary. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. I know Dean wasn't really the focus of this episode, but I think this is kind of my issue with this little bit of the plot is that so much of it feels focused on Rory feeling guilty and I just don't think she should feel guilty. I I agree. He should have broken up with her. I understand why he did it in the moment but I kind of feel like you know she didn't owe it to you to say I love you on your timeline. If you're gonna say that to someone you really need to be prepared for them to not say it back. I just feel like he kind of has the wrong attitude about it and I understand that his feelings are hurt so I don't think this is unrealistic. Like I think he's being a realistic character and they're absolutely who would yeah who would respond this way I just think that he's wrong nobody owes you any particular response to anything that you say to them mm-hmm. and if you put yourself on a out on a limb like that at a certain point you just have to accept that you might not get it returned in exactly the way that you wanted that dear listeners is all for today i'm tessa dare you can find me at my website tessadare.com where you can sign up for my email list or you can follow me on instagram at author.tess.adare or on tiktok at author.tess.adare and if you want to support us on Patreon, we are at patreon.com slash where you lead. And I'm Beth Von Baron. You can follow me on Instagram at STL underscore writer underscore Beth or sign up for my weekly Substack email, Saturday Morning Musings at STL writer Beth. 
www.substack.com. This has been Where You Lead, our fun and witty podcast about the Gilmore Girls from the perspective of a real-life mother and daughter. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll tune in for our next episode in two weeks. See you then.